Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, Hannah, come on back here for a moment. Uh, That was great, by the way. Thank you for leading us, and you do that every week, but, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know who you are. They see you, but how long have you been a part of our church? Mm, 17 years. 17 years. Okay, okay. So you post a lot on social media, actually, uh, behind the scenes in the church. If you follow us on social media, you'll see some of Hannah's work posting behind the scenes. Like, do you, do you have social media yourself? Yeah, I have my own personal Instagram and Facebook. Facebook? Yeah. How old are you? Oh. Because I, I thought that was like you had to be really old for Facebook. Really? Uh, no, not that really, old. your age. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Really okay. close to my age. So, yeah. so do you love uh, social media? Uh, it's complicated. In fact, I have a song that I'd like to sing to you about it. Really? What kind of song? It's a breakup song. Oh, okay. Get the Kleenex out, guys. <laughs> Let's cry a little. Can I get some snaps? I wake up in the morning feeling off. I'm addicted and I just can't get enough. I don't want to put you down Cause I love the way you lift me up But right now Six hours a day is much too much Probably know a little more about myself If I cared a little less about you Probably be a whole lot better for my health If I shared a little less with you You waste my time, make up my mind Now I think it's time that I Start to care a little more about myself and That song was written by a musician named Cyril Hess, and he discovered that he was on social media six hours a day, and he decided to write a breakup song. Like, this is going, this is getting too much. See, he realized partway into his social media experiment that the amount of information and accessibility and connectivity he was experiencing correlated with the lack of productivity he was actually outputting as well as the lack of peace of mind he was experiencing. See, I'm a Gen Xer. I remember before the internet. I remember before cell phones. (laughs) I remember well before social media, personal computers even. Like, 
But I love technology, I gotta tell you, I love the advancements. How many know what this is? Do you know what this is? Like, uh, I, I asked the staff if anyone had one of these, and I post it, when I send it, we have this kind of a sauna, we call it, uh, a task management thing, and I post it for all the staff, I put a picture to make sure what I was looking for, so they knew what a map looked like. How many have ever driven a car with the map in front of you? How many, come on now, let's a little honesty, you reckless people, I've been exactly where you've been. I mean, I love Waze, I love Maps, I love Apple Maps. Why? Well, there's less fights in the car. <laughs> there's just, you're going to get places in better ways. Like the advance in technology is so much better than trying to find your way in a map. And like, could anyone fold these right? <laughs> like after, it was always the worst. I, I was the worst at it. I, I, love, I love moving from, from lineups to online registrations. I remember when my boys were little and we were signing them up for swimming lessons and it, I would stand in line for like an hour and a half only to get to the front of the line and realize all the classes I wanted were full. I love online registrations. And the move from cell phones to pay, from pay phones to cell phones. I, I remember when this was a quarter to make a call. You always kept a quarter with you. Some of you, how many of you remember when it was a dime? Oh, look at that. Now we're aging ourselves. Do you know how much it is today? No, because you don't use them. But it's a dollar actually now to use one of these phones. It's incredible. Now, if you're under 40, you don't know this. We didn't have Perel back then. So when you held that up to your ear and your mouth, you were holding up the germs of thousands of people that had used that phone before you. And you know what? We lived. We lived. <laughs> Listen, all of that accessibility, connection, all of that costs us something. It costs you your attention. It informs your thinking. And it often, you'll see in a moment, robs us of peace that we want. You know, I'm going to show you a guy, and I want to see how many people even know who this person is. But for 95% of the people in this room, he's affected your life. His invention has affected your life. This is, this is this guy's name. His name is Aza Raskin. Anyone know Aza Raskin? You know what he invented? A big medical uh, breakthrough that helped many lives? No. An engineering marvel that opened up? No. He created what's called infinite scrolling. Infinite scrolling, or as users call it, doom scrolling. Ever heard that term? It was 2020 Oxford Dictionary's word of the year, doom scrolling. Now, I like the Urban Dictionary, actually, how it defines these things. Here's how the Urban Dictionary defines doom scrolling. When you keep scrolling through all of your social media feeds, looking for the most recent upsetting news about the latest catastrophe, searching for the most depressing conspiracy-ridden fake news, the amount of time spent doing this is directly proportional to how much worse you're gonna feel after you're done. <laughs> Doom scrolling's everywhere. Infinite scrolling's everywhere. It's in all your social media channels. You know, you go to YouTube, you watch one video, what's up before you know it? The next one. Curate it perfectly for you. You go to Netflix, you watch your favorite episode of some TV series you're into, and before, when the episode's ending, it's already starting the next episode. You don't even have time to think, do I want to watch another episode? No, it's already, in, it's everywhere you go. 
And actually, Askin, uh, or Ezra Raskin, he now regrets his invention. Here's what he said. He said, it's as if social media companies are taking behavioral cocaine and just sprinkling it all over your interface. And that's the thing that keeps you coming back and back and back. And he goes on to say, this is how we make addictions. Infinite scrolling is designed perfectly to keep you scrolling. It's designed perfectly to grab your attention and not let go of your attention. And that's part of the problem, because life is filled with inputs and outputs. We all have inputs, and you've never had more inputs coming into your life than you do now. Interactions, content, information, and outputs is what we do with it. Inputs determine your outputs. What comes in will be determined in your behavior when it leaves you. We all have these inputs, and here's the hard part in life, and this is what the series has all been about. It's, we don't often have time to reflect on what we're thinking about. And if you don't reflect on what you're thinking about, you'll be, you'll be entertaining all kinds of thoughts that will rob you of peace and take, make you become less content and less satisfied in this life. So here, here's where we're going today. I want to talk about how our thinking can get in the way of our peace. If you came here today and you're just carrying a lot and you have no peace and you feel like your life is out of control, you're in the right place today. I want to talk to you about peace. And here's a principle, peace principle. Here's the peace principle. The amount of peace, your amount of peace is directly connected to your ability to cast and to create. The amount of peace that you have in this life is directly connected to your ability to cast your cares and to create congruency in your life, to eliminate dissonance in your life, to eliminate incongruency in your life. So this is really easy. We're going to just, we won't be long today. At the end of the day, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, and we're going to have a, we're going to sing a blessing over you on the way out, but let's lean in just in these next few minutes to get equipped to live a more peaceful life moving forward. The first one is simply this. We need to learn to cast, cast your cares. I love this little verse that the Apostle Paul writes. Many of you have seen it, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, when he said this, God cares for you. I don't know how many of you need to hear that today. God cares for you, so turn all your worries over to him. Uh, an older version of Scripture says, cast all your cares upon him. Uh, it, it, the imagery here is Peter saying, throw it. I often think when I read this verse, I think of, you know, when you come home from school, after a long day at school, and you got a backpack on, and you got all your books in it, and you come in the door, what do you do? Nicely hang it up and unpack your thing? No, you throw it on the floor, right? You, you just want the load off you. You want to forget about school in that moment, you want to relax, right? You want to play, you want to do something. Well, this is the imagery that Peter's using. Throw it on God. Throw it on God. Let it go. Why don't we let it go more? Why don't we cast our cares on God more often? I think at one level, maybe we think God doesn't care. I mean, maybe he cares about the big stuff, granted. But does he care about that meeting you're going to go into this week and you're anxious about it? Does he care about that relationship that's deteriorating between you and a son or a daughter or a spouse or a friend? Does, does he care about that? 
I mean, that's small potatoes in light of the things going on in this world and maybe the bigger stuff like a phone call from your doctor with a bad prognosis. Those are the big stuff. We go to God in those moments because we don't have control. But what about the small cares that just keep coming at us? So I'm going to invite you to participate with me today because I want to create some new inputs. You have all kinds of things inputting into your life right now, but some truth that will be new inputs that will form your thinking. So here's the thought around this. Does God care? Does God care? If it matters to me, it matters to God. I'd like you to say that with me. If it matters to me, it matters to God. Now say it online. Join in with me one more time. If it matters to me, it matters to God. Listen, I don't care how small that worry is. I don't care how small that care is. Don't limit God to the big things. Don't you understand? He can carry everything. And he cares about everything. If you care about it, he cares about it. Cast your cares on him. If it matters to me, it matters to him. I think sometimes we don't cast our care on him because we think God doesn't care. I think sometimes, legitimately, we think that maybe God isn't able. Maybe God is not able to carry the thing that we're carrying presently. It's just too complicated or it's too big. Or, you know, have you ever had a situation where you're trying to explain to somebody else how big this thing is that you're carrying and even they can't get it? It just feels like, ah, there's too many tangled webs attached to this. Well, I like what author Max Licato said. He said this, God is able to accomplish, provide, help, save, keep, subdued. He is able to do what you can't. He already has a plan. I love this. God's not bewildered. Go to him. God is able. God is able. So here's your input. I would like you to say it after me. I need to connect my current reality to God's present ability. Can you say that out loud with me? I need to connect my current reality with God's present ability. So we say it often here when we pray and we have moments like this. God is here. Wherever people are gathered in his name, God is here. He's with us right now. He's in this place. He's in this space. So all of that power, all of that ability is present right now. So we need to connect our current reality, our present reality and situation with God's present ability. How do we do that? By praying. How do we do that? I'm going to show you at the end of our gathering today. So sometimes we don't cast our care because we wonder if God even cares for us. Sometimes we don't cast our care because we wonder if God is able. And sometimes we don't cast our care because we get used to carrying the weight. I've met people over the years. You've met people. If you've not met people like this, you might be one of these people. You kind of fall in love with your worries. Kind of becomes a little bit of your identity. It's like, uh, like tired people. You ever meet someone that's, they're just always tired? Like, uh, how you doing? Oh, okay. And it's just like, you know, after a while you stop asking, right? Because you just kind of, I know the answer already. I'm going to save the earth some output of oxygen because I already understand what you're going to say. Well, Sometimes in life, we get used to carrying weights. And we don't understand what it might feel like to not have to carry that weight. I've used this quote many times, but every time I'm feeling anxious, every time anxiety begins to get on top of me, I'll often say this quote to me. It's by John Maxwell. He just said, 
Worries like a rocking chair gives you something to do but gets you nowhere. I remind myself often of that. I was thinking of uh, the weights we carry that we shouldn't carry. We don't even have to carry. And I remembered an old hymn written. It was called Cast Your Care. And the first verse of it goes like this. Oh, why do you carry your burden alone? That burden is so heavy to bear. Why under its weight to you labor and groan? When Jesus is saying in the tenderest tone, my child, cast on me every care. We get to cast our cares on him. So friends, does God, does God even care? Well, if it matters to you, it matters to him. Is God able? I need to connect my current reality with God's present ability. And then we get used to carrying that weight. Can God carry that weight? Well, here's our last confession. Let's say it out loud together. Why should I struggle to carry what God can easily carry? Let's say it again. Why should I struggle to carry what God can easily carry? So let's say all three together. You ready? Say, I'm feeling like, feeling like the energy's waning a little bit here. So I'm needing it from you right now. Let's, these are the three inputs. These are things we're going to tell ourselves when we leave this place. When all those cares and worries are getting on top of us, we're going to remind ourselves, if it matters to me, it matters to God. So anything I'm worried about, Anything that's robbing me of peace, I can cast my care on him because if it matters to me, it matters to God. Next one, I need to connect my current reality to God's present ability. And I know that God is able. He's here. He's available. I need to connect that reality with his ability. How do I do it? Prayer. How do I do that? End of the gathering. Why should I struggle to carry what God can easily carry? We're not experts. He's the creator. He's not bewildered. He understands everything. Cast your care. That's the easy one. Here's the tough one. Then create congruency. This is difficult. A lot of people lack peace in this life because they're constantly living with dissonance in their life. They present as one thing but do another thing. And you know this, anyone that lives dualistically creates dissonance. Peace gets robbed. It leaks out of you when you're living a dualistic type life. So we need to be reminded to cast our cares. We need to be realigned to create congruency in our lives. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're online, just jump into a, either a Bible app or just Google it in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. This is a letter written by a man named Paul to a church in Ephesus, which is the modern-day Turkey. And in this letter, it's a pretty fascinating letter if you get a chance to read it. Fantastic read. It's dealing with your, he starts and he talks about how we have been made new. He's talking to Christians, people who are followers of Jesus. And he said, if you follow me, you have a new identity. Old things are gone, new things have come. That's what he's saying. Old things are gone, new things have come. So we're going to pick it up in chapter four, actually. And this chapter starts kind of funny. It starts with a conjunction. It's a funny way to start a chapter. It starts with the word, therefore. Therefore. And what, what Paul's doing is pretty interesting. He's connecting the first three chapters of Ephesus to uh, Ephesians to the last three chapters of Ephesians. And this is the one word that the whole book hinges on. Therefore. So chapters one to three is about your identity in Christ. 
who you are. Therefore, live, chapters 4 to 6, is this is how you should live. So chapter 1 to 3 is about your identity. And it'll say in that chapters 1 to 3 that you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're accepted, you've been adopted. And it talks about all these things about who you are now. You have been made new, it says. So live like it. Live like it. Therefore, live like it. So let, let, let's pick it up in verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. This is passionate. This is a passionate plea of his. I beg you to leave a, live a life worthy of your calling, your identity. For you have been called or identified by God. It's passionate here. Paul's begging them. What is he begging? He's saying, he's begging, don't tell people you're a follower of Jesus if you're going to live in a way that's not consistent with Jesus. I beg you, don't, don't do that, he's saying. Uh, the little word that Paul uses for beg in the original language he wrote it in is a legal term. And it kind of means like, I summon you. It's basically saying something along this line, that I'm summoning you to get, live a life that provides compelling evidence of your identity. Live a life, a congruent life, that gives evidence of your new identity in Christ. Remember, chapters 1 to 3. This is who you are, therefore, this is how you live. See, this is where we lose a lot of peace in life. This is who we are, but we're not living like who we are. You ever meet anyone who's wrestling with presenting one thing, but there's something completely different? You can only do that for so long. There's no way you can have peace in those moments. And Paul's saying, does your life give evidence of your identity? Are the inputs, your identity in Christ, equaling your outputs, how you live this life? And that, so, so you don't have to wonder, he tells you what that means. In verse 2, he says this, always be humble and gentle. Now, which of those words do you think I struggle with the most? Always. I struggle with always there. Because if Paul had said, be humble and gentle, I'd, say, I'd be able to say, well, that's a good general word of wisdom, right? You know, it's good to be humble, it's good to be gentle. But Paul says, always be humble and gentle. Now, always? Like when I'm turning left at a light and the car ahead of me hasn't inched into the intersection, so I miss the light? Always? Always, like when I'm watching someone try to back a car in the parking lot, and I'm just like, you were not designed to back a car in. Because this is a picture I took at Costco two years ago. And someone left their car like this. Always really gentle and humble, always. Always when you're on the 401 in the express lane and someone's in front of you driving at collector lane speeds. Always. I was driving with Shelly the other day, and she said, Jonathan, you're always so patient and gentle with people, but it's like Jesus doesn't get in the car with you. <laughs> and it's not like I'm going around getting, uh, yelling at her or anything, but I'm judging so badly. <laughs> it's a, don't even get me started with those express lines at the supermarket, one to 10 items. I'm watching you 11, pe 11 item people. Oh, I'll sneak in. I just have 14. I see it. I see it. I'm judging you. 
You know, always be humble and gentle. He says, always be humble and gentle. That's, that's really difficult. That's not easy to do. Because sometimes even in life, you might see that and say, listen, it's easy to be humble and gentle when I'm wrong. But I'm right a lot of the times. You know that old country western song? I'm not, a, I'm not really into western, country western music, but I always love the title of it. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. You remember that song? Well, there's something about, you know, sometimes in life, there are people, there are people that are born, they have a lot of competencies. And they're very confident in life. And they go around and you kind of know it in life. But here's the question that we need to wrestle with. As a Christian, what's most most compelling evidence that you have an identity in Christ? Is it that you're right or is it that you're gentle? What's more compelling evidence that Jesus has transformed your life because you're right or because you're gentle in life? Yeah, but but Jonathan, you don't understand. I'm right. But are you righteous? Is the tone of being right gentle? Because tone matters. Tone speaks when you're speaking a truth. It matters how it gets said. What's the most compelling evidence that you're a follower of Jesus? Maybe it's not exactly what you say, but maybe it's how you say it. Maybe it's how you say something that gives evidence that there's a congruency between your identity as a follower of Jesus and the way that you live your life. Like, if what you're saying is true, but it's not spoken in gentleness and humility. Maybe somebody else should say it. Let me say something that's true in a really gentle way. Very gentle way. If you're speaking the truth about Christ, but not in the spirit of Christ, ferme la bouche. Maybe close your mouth. Because it's not congruent with your new identity in Christ. Always be humble and gentle, he says. Be, say this word with me. You already know, because of my driving illustrations, patience may be a virtue, but it's not a natural gifting of mine. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Boy, this is really hard, guys. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. That's a tough one, isn't it? Maybe we should say this out loud. Yeah, we're doing good. Let's say it again. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Because of your love. Now, the evidence of patience is that I can have people in my life that not only don't agree with me, but believe differently than me. Some of the greatest evidence of patience is not at the intersection, even though that is part of it. That's somebody getting in the way of, I'm feeling important. There's a lack of humility that I feel like my agenda to get somewhere is more important than someone else's agenda in those moments. But listen, patience, you can tell the level of someone's patience in the way that they can have people in their lives that disagree with them. They can stay in the pocket of that. They can create space for, to accept people that live differently, act differently, think differently, have different ideas than them. What if the most compelling evidence that you are a follower of Christ and that you have an identity in Christ wasn't that you were preachy with people, but that you were patient with people? 
Man, how different would the witness be of those who follow Jesus if we were known for our patience, if we were known for our humility, if we were known for our gentleness? So I thought, let's rate us. You ready to, ready to rate yourself? You got to do the math. So everybody, you do the math. Online, you do the math. You can jump in the chat room, put your score if you want to, but that might not be humble depending on how big the score is. So I want you to rate yourself one to five, one being like I have no humility whatsoever and I know it. Five, if you're like Jesus, you're probably going to be somewhere in here. I want you to think of, okay, remember what the definition of humility is. C.S. Lewis says it well, the great Christian author, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking less often of yourself. Pride puts the accent on your life, on me, my way. How did I come off looking? How are people perceiving me? You are preoccupied with yourself. That's pride. So humility is the opposite of it. What number would you give yourself? One to five. Don't say it out loud. But you can score the person next to you. Put the hand. No, 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 no. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> okay, so, so keep that number in mind for humility. What about gentleness? Uh, uh, Pastor Tim Keller says, gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is not something that when you see someone weak and they have no power and control, that, oh, they must be gentle. No, they, they might be frightful. They might be fearful. Gentleness is on display when you're the one that has the control and the power. When you have the authority and the power and the control, how gentle are you? Are you right or are you righteous in that regard? Get a score. Gentle there. Okay, then what about patience? Your ability to include others. Your ability to wait for people in life. You know, sometimes I think we'd have better community if we learned how to be more patient. And we waited for people. Waited for them to end their sentences. Waited for them to share their thoughts. Listen to them, right? How patient are you? And then the last one, love. How do I know if I love someone, how I'm doing with love? Well, love always wants to serve the other. Wants God's best for them. Wants to sacrifice on their behalf. So, what's your score? I mean, if, if you got 20, I don't know what to say. Because I didn't know Jesus was taking the test today. <laughs> what's your score? Where, where, where do you come in? Because wherever that is, you're going to start to see maybe where some incongruencies are that leak peace in your life. It's hard to live at peace with others and with God when our identity is this and we're living like this. There's an incongruency in our life. And Paul wants to help us to, get, to bridge the gap of that incongruency that exists in all of our lives. And you know, if I'm honest, when I look at something like this, I want to focus on, on maybe gentleness because I think I'm a little further ahead than humility or patience. Wherever you are, it's a gift to stop and consider and reflect on how do you see the world and how are you living your identity out that Christ has created you in. If you follow in Ephesians chapter 4, jumping down to verse 17 to 24, it's brilliant. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but it's absolutely brilliant because Paul shows you how do you change? How do you change? Because that's the hardest part of this, right? Okay, sure, Jonathan, you poked holes at me. Humility, yeah, not so great. Patience, definitely not great. Gentleness, ah, you know. Love, well, it depends on who, right? Well, what do we do with this? How do we change? 
How do we create more congruency so it can have more peace in this life? Well, Paul tells us. In verse 17, he actually reminds us what life is like outside of Christ. And he's going to contrast it. Verse 17, he says this. So I tell you this and insist on it. So again, very emphatic language in the Lord. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And those are people who just didn't follow Jesus, didn't know Jesus. In the futility of their thinking. What does Paul mean by futility of their thinking? It's like when you go home and you want to watch TV and you've got the expanded cable package and you're flipping through the channels, but there's nothing on. So you go to Netflix. Netflix has over 2,385 TV shows and over 4,100 movies in it. But you've seen all the ones you had wanted to see already and you're flipping through Netflix and there's nothing on. There's nothing on. Nothing hits. Nothing lands. That's what the futility of thinking is like. What he's talking about here is you're flipping through all kinds of channels in life and nothing is hitting. Nothing is landing. Lots of information. Lots of entertainment. Lots of distraction. Lots of accessibility. But nothing lands. Uh, there's a German philosopher, his name's Martin Hedger. He, he translates this word and to the German word we have it in English too, angst. Futility of thinking, angst. And what he means by this is that we go through life with a sense of anxiety that we're not making progress in life. That we work and we work and we work and we're not getting ahead in life. And this is what Paul's talking about. The futility of their thinking. That somehow we do an awful lot of work and we're doing a lot of things in life, but we're not getting ahead. Nothing seems to hit, nothing seems to land. So Paul says, that's what you were like. But if you're in Christ, you have a new identity. And he goes on to say this. He goes, having lost all sensitivity, this is again, before you knew Jesus, all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. What's Paul saying? He said, the futility of your thinking lends to a moment where you give yourself over to stuff. Why? Because you're so desperately looking for peace and comfort. You'll find it in lesser-made things, and you'll begin to venerate them in a way that they were never intended to. So you give yourself over to work. And work becomes your identity, and work becomes your place of comfort, and work is where you look for peace, but you lose your job and you're devastated. Or you give yourself over to a relationship. Or you give yourself over to money or power or sex. Any of those things that begin to control your life. Then you get to a place where you, you say things like this. I have to have financial security. I have to have someone on my arm. I have to have good looks. I have to be successful. I and we're given over to these. And here's what happens, Paul's saying. And even though you get it, there's a continual lust for more. It never satisfies. Because we can't find contentment there. Ultimately, we can't find peace there. So how do we do it? Verses 22 to 24. Uh, this is worth your time reading this week. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Paul gives us the key. This is how you change it then. And the key is these two terms. You need to put off and you need to put on. 
He says that there's, we need to be putting stuff off and we need to be putting things on. If we're going to experience peace in this area and greater congruency with Christ, our identity in him, we need to put some things off and we need to put some things on. And both are equally important. Here's, here's why. Uh, we bought a house when we first moved back from Montreal here. And it's just a small house here in Scarborough. And the lawn was terrible. I don't care. Shelly cared. So what did I do one summer on my week off? I dug up that front lawn. I, all the weeds, all the grass, everything. I brought bags of topsoil. I didn't know you could get delivered a bigger one, but I got bags of it and I spread it all out. It looked amazing. It was all this beautiful brown topsoil all over the lawn. You know what you need to do right away? You better plant something there. Either the weeds are going to grow back there. Here's the problem. With some of us, we begin a journey with Jesus and we decide to put something off, but we never put something on. Theologians call this synergism. And it's this idea that we have a part to do and God has a part to do. Think of it this way. God does all the heavy lifting. But there is something required of us, an intentionality way, of putting some things off us, things that move us further from the kingdom of God, and putting on some things like humility, gentleness, love, and patience that move us deeper into the kingdom of God. These are really important to do, and we need to remind ourselves of our identity constantly. These inputs matter in our life because you have all these resident inputs, these shadow inputs in your life because somebody's inputting to your life way before you got a hold of technology and social media. Some of you had some negative inputs in your life when you were in school growing up. People said things about you and to you. Maybe even some of your caregivers, maybe a parent or others, and they created a seed of something inside of you that became, has become your identity. But once you put your trust in Jesus, old things are passed away, and you have a brand new identity in Christ Jesus. Everything changes. Everything changes in that moment. So we need to remind ourselves constantly of our new identity. Here's our new identity. Can you say it with me? I am accepted. Okay, let's do it again. Ready? Say it with me. I am accepted and love. I have access to the king of the universe. I'm adopted and included in God's family. You are a new creature, Paul would say in another portion of scripture, in Christ Jesus. You've been made brand new. This is who you are. And to have peace, we need to create congruency between our identity and our reality. See, you have peace by casting your care. You have peace by creating congruency in your life. That who I am in Christ, I begin to live that reality in my life. How do you do that? Well, religion usually wants you to try harder. Have you noticed that? I, I've shared this before. Like I grew up on the east coast of Canada in a, in a church that was really focused on the holiness and some really good things. But it was truly the church that guilt built. <laughs> I felt guilty all the time about everything. It was hard to even find joy in things because if you're having too much fun, how could God be there? <laughs> you know, because God, God's all serious. And I realized so much of my spirituality got fed that way. Guilt and shame. And many of you, that's how you live your spiritual life by pressing the guilt and shame button, or someone does that for you in your life. There's another button, though. A few months ago, 
uh, our washing machine at home, the spin cycle stopped working on it. You know, so we would, for weeks, we'd have to wring out our clothes and then put it in the dryer uh, because I'm cheap. And I wanted to figure out if I could fix it because, you know, wanted to be the hero at home, but it didn't work out. And after weeks of, of wringing out the laundry and putting it in the dryer and, and Shelly reminding me, hey, <laughs> we need to fix this problem, I called a repairman. And I call, on the phone, I talked to the repairman and he says, well, how old's your machine? It's old. He said, it's not spinning. He said, likely you're gonna have to replace it. It's not gonna be worth repairing. I said, can you just come and take a look at it anyways? So he comes to our house, he goes down to the basement, I follow him because every mechanic and repairman loves someone hovering over their shoulder, asking questions. They love that, love that. So I went down with him and I wanted to prove that, listen, if it could have been fixed, I would have fixed it. So he pulls it out and he, said, and he tries the spin cycle, it doesn't work. But he puts his testers on it and he says, it doesn't make sense though. All the power is going to it. It has the power to work Something's going down here, and he couldn't figure it out. He said, maybe, maybe you need a new washer. And as he put it all back together again, he looks at the machine, and he sees a button in the front of it. And it says, spin cycle. <laughs> Apparently, you could turn it on and off. <laughs> so $150 later... What had happened, someone accidentally had turned it off, probably Shelly, and then $150 later, <laughs> I paid a repairman to show me where the button was on the front of my machine. <laughs> hey friends, uh, some of us are really struggling in life and you're spinning your wheels. And you're pressing buttons of guilt and shame and you come into spaces like this and moments like this and you feel weight or you feel like you don't measure up, you're not good enough, cast your care. Call the repairman. Let him do the heavy lifting for you. And that button that gets to be pressed, it's not try harder, friends. It's surrender. See, Paul says this in Ephesians. He goes on to say this. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. Can you say that with me? Let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. Friends, it's not the self-help button. It works for a little while, but then it stops working, doesn't it? It's allowing the Spirit to change your way of thinking. How do you do that? You need to meditate on your identity in Christ. This fall here at One Church Steel, we're launching a, a brand new season of Follow. And it's a, uh, Pastor Jessica and Pastor Brent and the team are working at designing this. And we really want to help you live a life that's congruent with the identity you now have in Jesus. And God's Spirit is able to do something that you can't do in your own. So here's how I want to end today. I want to end by praying with you to first cast your cares and then to invite God's spirit to help you live a congruent life. So would you meet me in that moment of that prayer? So think about right now, what are you worried about? I, I, you may say, everything's great right now. Okay, then dig deeper. What are the small little things that just, just kind of churn away at you? The small little things that rob you of joy, that rob you of peace. 
What is, the, is it the unknown? Is it the future? Is it finance right now? Is it health? Is it a key relationship? Sometimes you find yourself even in a marriage relationship where nothing's bad enough to, to address, but nothing's really great either. There's a sense of stuckness in it. Well, what is it that you, you just haven't thought to give to God? We're going to cast our cares. Why? Because if it matters to you, it matters to Him. If that person matters to you, they matter to Him. So something I do, you don't have to do it. If you're online, you're welcome to join me. I love to hold my hands in front of me. We do this a lot at this church. It's a posture. And we're going to give Him our cares today. So whatever it is that's weighing on you, Whatever it is that just keeps eating away at you. Maybe it's a weight even you've just come accustomed to carry. You carry it all the time. But today you're going to say, no, 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 no. Now, why should I carry something that God can easily carry? Why should I? We're going to invite God, uh, God's present ability into our current reality. Father, we come to you today as a community of individuals and every person in this room has something they have in their hands right now. A person, a moment, an interaction, a conversation, a relationship, a health problem. Sometimes, God, we're just getting old and we get worried. What about the future, God? So we hold that in our hand today. And God, we're going to do as Peter told us to. We're going to throw it on you. <laughs> We give it to you. God, we invite your power to be at work in our current reality. Would you come into this need with your provisional power? Would you come into this brokenness with your healing power? Would you come into this void with your loving presence, God? Would you be at work in ways that we could not even conceive of? We cast our cares on you because you care for us. If it matters to us, it matters to you. And then I want to pray for any of us and maybe all of us really because I don't think anyone was scoring 20 out of 20 on that congruency test. You have gaps. If you're unsure of where they are, ask someone that loves you. They know where they are. They can see it. So maybe we offer our lives to him. God, we remind ourselves, for those of us who've put, placed our trust in you, we have a new identity. We are accepted. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are made new. Today, we put that on and we take off anything that would either limit us from enjoying a relationship with you or that would distort our relationship with you. We take it off. Old ways are gone. We embrace new ways. Let how we live be informed with our identity. Lord, let us experience, and I pray for everyone here, that the peace of God would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we cast our care and as we live a more congruent life. In your name, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live.
We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing, both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.